All right, well, once again, we just want to say thanks for joining us, and we're just so thankful that you've sung with us and reflected with us and joined in today. We're really appreciative of our team and all the hard work that they've put in and how we're able to use these songs week in and week out. And so I just hope it's been just a great, I don't know, I just hope it's ministered to you today wherever you're at. Um, What we're going to do right now is we're actually going to jump right in. Like we said at the beginning of January, a few months ago, our spiritual practice for this season, and it's probably been a bit longer, obviously, than the winter season, is the spiritual discipline of simplicity. That simplicity is actually something that the church and Christians have practiced for millennia. And it's one of these practices that we've really wanted to lean into over the last few years. So we practiced this a couple years ago, but we've re-engaged it since January, trying to take intentional time uh, throughout our teaching series just to hit pause and look at different facets and the different layers of living a simple life. So if you don't, if you don't remember, back in January, we kind of opened this up by looking at simplicity in our time. And we talked about how all of us have the same amount of, amount of time and all of us really need to press into taking an audit of our time and being intentional with what we put our time into. Everybody has the same amount of time. Jesus followers are these people that think through what we give our time and our energy to. And so we encourage just some thought around that, some reflection around that, and being intentional. Then a couple months ago, we looked at simplicity in our money. That money is actually a really big deal to those that follow Jesus. It's a massive part of our following Jesus and discipleship. More than anything else, besides the kingdom of God, Jesus speaks about money and It's a big deal in how we steward what we have. And so we took some time just to talk about our church and how we want to be simple in our, uh, the way we live and the way we function as a church to be generous. And the call is, is for everybody, a part of our community in the way of Jesus to be simple with our money and to be intentional with that. And so while all of us have the same amount of time, not all of us have the same amount of money. And all of us need just to think through how we're stewarding and using that in discipleship. And this is actually a a big part of what it means to live a simple life. So we have our time and our money. And as we had promised, we want to kind of pick this back up one more week in our teaching and then practice all of these things, the simplicity. We want to practice this all the way to the end of June. But we wanted to take one last week to drill down on our simplicity with stuff. And so money time, stuff, or time, money, stuff, and I guess in that order is kind of how we've looked at it. We want to take today and just look at how we're actually really called to live a simple life with our stuff, with what God has given us. You know, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not as much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And when Jesus asked this question, he obviously wants us to respond with an emphatic no, right? This call not to worry. He goes on, And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today 
and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And then Jesus says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so here, clear instruction from Jesus not to worry, and yet oftentimes our lives, I mean, just think about the last year, are plagued with worry. There's this deep level of trust that Jesus is calling us into when we follow him. And a lot of times, our worry is deeply connected to our stuff and to material. And that's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about money as well. It's all interconnected, that a free life in the kingdom of God is free from the love of money and it's free from worry that is often connected to having more. This is a radical, I mean, following Jesus is a radical way of living. It is totally upside down. And we are this community that says all of this matters. Yes, salvation and the rule and reign of God coming over our lives matter. Um, It matters deeply, but as well, our life and how we live in response to that saving work of God is so important. And we just, I just, again, we just feel like it's a life that's called into simplicity. So our time, our money, our stuff, Jesus says not to worry here. What we want to look at today is just simplicity with our things. And so one of the things I want to do is actually, we're going to have a guest come again. I know last week we had one as well. We've kind of had this lined up before some of the lockdowns and we kind of pre-Easter had already thought through this. When we talk about simplicity and simplicity with our things, I think we have one of the best voices that could come and share with us. His name is Joshua Becker. Joshua used to be a pastor but has recently kind of stepped out into the area of writing and blogging and writing books and speaking on minimalism and the reality of what God calls us to in simplicity. And he's done a great job writing some books and he shares uh, around North America on this idea. His blog now, I think, reaches over a million people. Um, At least that was a few years ago when blogs were more of a thing, but I still know like his writing and uh, his influence through his writing is, is vast. And he talks a lot about minimalism and intentional living. And I think he's actually going to challenge us in a kingdom way, just for a couple minutes here, around what we do with stuff. Maybe some of you have read his book, The More of Less. He also has a fantastic book called The Minimalist Home, a room-by-room guide to a decluttered, refocused life. And we'll send the links out on these. Maybe you want to actually engage them after you hear. But one of the things we want to look through kind of a kingdom lens is not just this call with time and money, but a call to be simple with our stuff, with what God has given us, with our homes, with our lives, with the stuff that we have in our lives. So Joshua is going to come. You can uh, get your Bible. We're going to jump into the Bible as well. Get your Bibles ready and we're going to jump in. But uh, we're going to invite Joshua to come and he's going to share with us. I come this morning with a simple message. The simple message is this, that there is more joy to be found in owning less than we can ever find in pursuing more. This is a message that I think we all know to be true. Unfortunately, 
Since the day we were born, we have been told the exact opposite. Statistics will tell us that on average we see 5,000 advertisements every single day. A million by the time we reach the age of 21, and they all tell us the exact opposite message. They all tell us the same thing, that we will be happier if we buy whatever they're selling. Whatever it is, soda, insurance, cars, clothes. And we begin to hear this message so many times from so many places, we begin to believe it without even realizing we do. As a result, we start working long hours. We start looking for bigger paychecks so that we can buy a bigger house, so that we can buy a nicer car, so we can buy more fashionable clothing, faster technology, better toys for the kids and the men. This is what our life begins to become. But I think when someone comes along and reminds us of the simple truth that there is actually more joy in owning less than we can ever find in owning more, it starts to ring true inside of us and it starts to resonate with our hearts. And that is my simple message and my bold hope this morning. That's my message, but let me quick tell a little story about my life. My name is Joshua, by the way, for those of you who don't know me. And for most of my life, I have lived with two streams of discontent rolling through my mind. Number one, I've always been discontented with the use of my money. Can anyone relate? Can anyone relate? A little discontented with the use of my money. Now, um, we've never been in deep consumer debt, always had a mortgage and student loan, those types of things. But I've always lived paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. Despite pay increases and job promotions, still always paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. Did you know that 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck to paycheck? So you are not alone. <laughs> Neither was I. I, uh, I, I. I knew that I wasn't living deep in debt, but I knew that this was a trend that couldn't continue forever. Right? I always knew that I was one blown water heater or one blown transmission away from having to go into debt to support my lifestyle. And so I was always a little uneasy about the use of my finances. Interestingly, uh, I was also working at a church at the time, uh, most of my life. And uh, it's interesting because I, I read what Jesus said about money. I read what God would say about generosity and taking care of those less fortunate, taking care of the poor. And I, and I believed it to be a good thing. But I looked at how I was living and what God was calling me to do. And I could never square them away in my mind. There's always this, this little discontent of, I think I'm missing something. I don't think I'm supposed to be spending this much of a percentage on my own needs and such a little percentage on those who have nothing. It's a little stream of discontent. The second stream of discontent in my life, I, I don't know how to phrase it other than I, I've, I've just begun saying it this way. I was discontented with the focus of my life's energy. I was becoming discontented with the focus of my life's energy and my life's pursuits, but I never would have realized this until a Saturday morning, Memorial Day weekend, six years ago. I was living in Vermont, and uh, we had had this long winter, 
and uh, we came across this beautiful Memorial Day weekend. And so my wife and I woke up on Saturday morning to do what most Americans do on Saturdays, clean the house. <laughs> uh, clean the house, run some errands, go buy some stuff, right? It was spring cleaning weekend, we decided. And uh, I decided that I was going to clean the, clean the garage. Um, I, I don't know how to clean the toilets because I've never tried. So I thought, let me, let me handle the garage. Uh, my son Salem was five years old at the time. I had been away at work all week. And I thought, hey, this would be a great way to spend some time with my son. Let's clean the garage together. Which I even say it now. And I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> that he was going to want to clean the garage with me on a Saturday. But uh, we woke up early, uh, made some eggs and bacon. I'm like, this is going to be a great manly morning here for us, buddy. And so I made the eggs and bacon. We went out to the garage, and I began to explain to him. It had been such a long winter in Vermont. I said, here's our plan. We're going to pull everything out of the garage. We're going to hose everything down, clean it all up, and return everything in a nice, organized fashion for the summer. This was my plan. Uh, I said, hey, Salem, can you go grab your two boxes of toys over there and pull them out into the driveway? Which was my second mistake of the morning, uh, because as soon as he picked up his box of toys, which he hadn't seen all winter long, there was his baseball bat and his wiffle ball, and he's like, I'm out of here. He said, Dad, can I go play with these things? I'm like, oh, we just started. Sure, you can go in the backyard and play. As he's passing me on his way to the backyard, he said, will you, will you come play catch with me? I said, I, I can't. Remember, we were going to do the garage. This was our job today, and it's only been 30 seconds, so give me a little more time. So I begin working on the garage. He's playing alone in the backyard. If any of you have kids, can kind of picture this every 20 minutes at least. He's running up to the front. Hey, can you come play with me now? Can you come push me on the swing, play in the sandbox, throw the wiffle ball? I'm like, no, no, I can't. I can't. Not until I finish this project, which by now has gone for hours. Some of these projects tend to do one thing leads to another. My neighbor, um, her name is June, and she's 80 years old, and she is outside trimming her hedges at the exact time that this is all taking place, which I just hope my wife does the yard work when she's 80. This is, this is on my bucket list that this would be something that she would take care of. But um, she's out working, and and she's kind of noticing this taking place. She's noticing the frustration just starting to grow on my shoulders. And I pass by her at one moment, and she goes, Ugh, the joys of owning a home. I'm like, yeah. Well, you know what they say, the more stuff you own, the more your stuff owns you, which I think I had read on bumper stickers like dozens of times, but never really grasped the full meaning of it. She responded with a simple sentence that changed my life forever. And it went like this. She said, yeah, you know, that's why my daughter is a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. And I stood speechless for a moment as if, for the first time ever, someone had told me that I don't need to own everything. I remember looking at the pile of dirty, dusty things that I had piled up in my driveway that I hadn't seen for five or six months, and I knew, of course, that possessions weren't making me happy, right? I knew I wasn't searching for happiness and meaning in the things that I own, right? But I had this realization, all these things piled up weren't bringing me happiness. 
I looked at my son, my most valued thing, alone in the backyard like he'd been all morning. And suddenly had this realization that not only were the things that I own not bringing me happiness, they were actually distracting me from the very thing that did bring me happiness and joy and meaning and fulfillment and purpose. These are two very different realizations, not that they just weren't bringing me happiness, but they were actually taking me away from it. I remember running inside to um, find my wife, clean the toilets. <laughs> Thank goodness. And um, I said, Kim, you'll never guess this conversation I just had with June. She says we don't have to own all this stuff. <laughs> She'd been cleaning all morning, and she said, yeah, uh, why don't you look into that? I'm like, I am totally going to. So I ran to the computer, and I typed in, what is minimalism? And up pops minimalism in art and architecture and music where everyone's trying where people were trying to communicate what they want to communicate by using the least amount of resources to do it I'm like ah, i'm not so interested in art at this moment what is a minimalist lifestyle and up pops this whole world to me of people all around the globe who have decided that they were going to only own the things they needed and get rid of everything else. And every single one of them was singing the praises of this decision that they had made. And so I read about this guy named Colin, Colin Wright. Uh, Colin's in his 20s. Everything he owns fits in a backpack, and he moves to a new country every four months. Which is crazy enough, except that he lets the readers of his website vote to what country he's going to move to next. So he's been to like Iceland and Iraq, like everywhere you want to send some stranger on the internet. Um, he's been to all these different places, and he's talking about how light and free his life is with just, you know, owning a few things. And uh, I read about this guy named Dave Bruno. Uh, Dave lives in San Diego. Uh, Dave decided he was going to own only 100 items, the 100 thing challenge, he called it. So he took a sheet of paper, and he numbered it 1 to 100, and he wrote down every single thing that he owned. One purple tank top, one black pair of shorts, one wetsuit, one surfboard, right, San Diego. He's kind of making this... He gets down to 100 and he decides to get rid of everything else. I'm like, oh, Colin, I get it, but I don't want to move to a new country every four months. And I'm like, Dave, I get it, but I don't really want a sheet of paper with like everything I own listed on it. That's not exactly what I was looking for. I, I read about a couple named Logan and Tammy who lived in Portland. They were accountants and they were deep in debt. How funny is that, right? Accountants and they were, they were deep in debt. And um, Logan and Tammy decided to get out of debt by getting rid of their home and building a 400 square foot tiny home that they put on wheels and they were able to park in anyone's backyard that they wanted. And between them, they owned 100 things. Two forks, two bowls, two cups, two plates. I'm like, I get it, I, I, I get the principle, but I don't know, I want more than two plates, I, I want more than two forks, I mean, I, I live in the suburbs, I worked at a church in the suburbs, I like being involved in my community, we had small groups over our house, sometimes three times a week, we had small groups in our home, and I'm like, I feel like I need more than two forks, <laughs> I mean, as a family of four, if I want to have anyone over for dinner, how about eight plates? And how about eight forks and eight cups? Like, this I need, but a whole cabinet full of them, three different sets of them, I probably don't need to have. 
Minimalism became um, unique to us. And I think that's one of the key things that I learned very early on by reading about these people, that ultimately minimalism is going to bring about better intentionality in what's most important to me, and it's going to remove everything that distracts me from it. So I'm not going to move in a tiny home in someone's backyard. I'm not going to move every four months. But I do have a lot of clutter in my life, a lot of stuff in my life, that's just distracting me from more important things. So this began our journey. We, uh, we just went room by room, probably 60, 70% of our stuff, we just, we just got rid of, donated, sold, just removed from our home. I remember calling my mom that night. I'm like, Mom, you'll never guess this conversation I had with our neighbor. We have decided to become minimalists. <laughs> just, oh, Joshua, I was just watching Oprah. And I'm like, this is never going to be good. But so I was just watching Oprah just this week, and they were interviewing some minimalists. Did you know that they don't go to the grocery store, but they get their food out of dumpsters? I'm like, no. I did, I did not read that in any of the literature that I could no longer go to the grocery store. I've since come to learn that these are called freegans who, who don't buy any food, but not necessarily minimalists. But nevertheless, I made another decision that day that I would start a website. Uh, we started a website called Becoming Minimalist. It was going to be a journal, an online diary of our decisions, what we were keeping, what we were getting rid of, some of the lessons that we were learning. I uh, started with two readers, uh, me and my mom. I was only a faithful reader, but uh, my mom read it every so often, and we reach over a million people every single month now with, with this. Uh, this is just an idea whose time has come, that we realize we own too much stuff. When we hear this message of owning less, I think it resonates within us. One of the reoccurring themes on our website became the benefits that I began realizing in my life. Some of the advantages that I was finding to actually owning less stuff. And I find that we never get asked this question. That we're told constantly from every direction that we'd be better with more, but no one ever says, hey, how might your life be better if you own less? But what's interesting is it doesn't take us too long to think of some things. Why don't you try it? Wherever you're at, turn to your neighbor, two, three, if you're sitting alone, just grab a sheet of paper, and answer this question. If you owned less stuff, how would your life improve? Go ahead, just make a, make a small list. I'll give you about a minute to, to put a few together. I got a list here in front of me. Let me, let me run through some of them. Um, maybe I'll add to your list, or maybe you could, you could add to mine. But let me mention a few that, that typically get mentioned pretty early on. Uh, one benefit of owning less is that we have less stuff to clean. Uh, less cleaning. Anyone say less cleaning? That pop up? Yes, of course it did. Uh, do you want to clean less? Own less. It works every single time. Less cleaning. Uh, another benefit is that we find when we own less stuff, we have more time for other things. Uh, not only do we have to spend less time cleaning, but we spend less time organizing and maintaining and managing and looking for storage solutions. <laughs> we spend less time fixing and repairing and replacing. We find less time that we have to spend working just to make the money that we can take to go shopping 
to buy the stuff to bring home to clean and organize and manage and maintain and repair and replace. What is this life that we're living? How much time are we spending just accumulating and taking care of the things that we own? We discovered more money. Uh, obviously, it costs less if you're buying less, and if you're owning less, it costs less. Uh, this has a number of benefits. Number one, if you're in debt, uh, of course, deciding not to buy anything or deciding to own less is a good way to get out of debt, as Logan and Tammy uh, would have shared. Um, more than that, we have more money. If we're buying less stuff, we have more money to do things that we really want to go do with our time and with our lives. Interesting statistic, 78% of Americans don't like their job. 78% of Americans don't like their work. Which I hear and I think to myself, if 78% of Americans don't like their job, why are they still doing their job? Oh, 70% of us are living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. We get caught in this rut, in this life of earning and spending and buying and suddenly we don't even like the job that we're doing to make the money just to go buy the stuff that's just weighing down our lives. We can own less. We can buy less. We can find a job that we really want to do. It brings us more fulfillment and meaning. We have less stress. Uh, Randy Elkhorn says it this way, every increased possession adds increased worry into our lives, right? Everything we own is eventually going to break. Something's eventually going to go wrong with every single thing that we buy. The more we have, the more stress we add into our lives. We can even picture this in our home. Picture like the calm room, the, cl the clutter-free room. Just kind of close your eyes and put yourself there. And then put yourself in the cluttered, messy room that's all full of stuff. And you're like, ah, yes, this feels better, freer, calmer. Why do we buy so much stuff and add this extra stress and worry, anxiety? We find more freedom. We find a better example for our kids. I don't know, in American homes, what are the three most common words? I don't know if it's I love you that our kids are hearing or if they're hearing, ooh, it's on sale. <laughs> or I want that. Watch this advertisement. Let's buy this. Like this is the environment. This is what our kids are seeing. Not contentment and peace. Fewer distractions, better for the environment, less comparison. Uh, we found that many of the things I most wanted to be true in my life, we found room for them to emerge. I always wanted to be a generous person. I don't think I've met a single person who didn't want to be known as generous. Anyone? No, no, I don't want to be. Right? Like, we want to be generous people. We want to be contented people. We want to be grateful people. Well, how about this? Let's own less stuff. Let's be happy with owning less. We have more money to be generous. We can be content. We can be grateful with what we do. Ultimately, we found this. We found more opportunity to pursue our greatest passions. We found more time, more energy, more money, more freedom, more opportunity to pursue the things in life that we wanted our life to be about rather than all the things we had become distracted with. This went on for a, a few months, this uh, journey that we were going down and getting rid of things and learning things. And 
I remember just sitting down one time and I, and I, I thought to myself, how come no one told me this before? Like, like where's this been? My whole life has been about buying and accumulating and earning more and more. How come no one ever said, hey, just own less? It's better. No one ever told me this. And I thought, wait a minute. I've been told this over and over again. Like, this isn't a new message. This is ancient wisdom. This is truth that Jesus was proclaiming years ago. Hey, get rid of the things you don't need. Give to those who are poor. Don't stockpile treasures here on earth. Blessed are the poor. He goes over and over and over again. But what's interesting is this. I used to read what Jesus said about giving away possessions and money. And you know what I thought? I thought to myself, uh, Jesus wants my life miserable. <laughs> this was my thinking, literally. Jesus wants my life to be miserable. He wants me to give away everything to the poor people, and my life will be crummy. I'll have to sacrifice a fun life on earth. Maybe I'll have nice rewards in heaven. That this was the trade-off. But we don't do that with anything else that Jesus said. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and you may have it abundant. Jesus created life. He knows the best way to live. And he's saying, hey, own less. More money, more time, more freedom for the things that are most important to you. Uh, there are two passages that I began reading. I, I had known them before. And as I was going down this journey, I would read them again. And I'm like, oh, this finally makes sense to me. I finally get what Jesus was trying to say and what he was inviting me to. The first one's in Luke chapter 3. Uh, Luke chapter 3 is a story of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is coming to prepare the way for Jesus. So he's, called, he's a little prophet in Israel. He's saying, hey, the Messiah is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. Get ready for the message that is about to appear. And the people come to him in Luke chapter 3, verse 10, and they said, what should we do then? The crowd asked. What should we do to get ready for Jesus? What should we do to get ready for God to be a part of our lives? This is John's response. It's unbelievable. He says in verse 11, John answered, this is how you get ready. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Which I've always thought would be really difficult if I owned any tunics. But uh, luckily I don't, but I have a closet full of coats and shoes and jeans. American homes have more televisions than people in them. The man with two should share with him who has none. The one who has food should do the same. He goes on, tax collectors also came to be baptized. They said, teacher, what do we have to do to get ready? And John says, don't collect any more than you're required to collect. Soldiers came and said, what should we do to get ready? And he replied, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, be content with your pay. And that's the end. Jesus is coming, and the people are coming to the prophet John and saying, what do we have to do to get ready for Jesus? And he doesn't say, go read the Bible, go study the prophecies, go pray, go spend time in solitude, 
go sing worship songs. He doesn't say any of those things. You know what he says? He says, get rid of the stuff you don't need. And be content with what you have. Which begs an interesting question. How does me giving extra coats to poor people prepare me for God's message? I mean, I get it how it keeps the poor people warmer. It helps feed them. I get it how this benefits poor people. But how does giving away my extra stuff influence my life? Prepare me for the message of God. Well, we suddenly realized it when we started getting rid of stuff we didn't need it. When we started actually doing this, it suddenly started to make sense. Here's the deal. We took one van load of things to Goodwill. It felt great. We took two van loads of things to Goodwill. It felt wonderful. The third van load still felt pretty good. By about the fourth van load of things to Goodwill, (laughs) we started asking ourselves some pretty difficult questions. Like, why do I have four van loads of things that I don't need? Why did I buy all this stuff in the first place? Why do we buy things that we don't need? I don't know, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Why do we buy stuff that we don't need? Well, maybe I'm in love with the world a little more than I realize. Maybe I'm a little more susceptible to the world's message than I ever thought. Maybe I was trying to find happiness in the things that I owned. Maybe I was comparing myself and trying to keep up with what they were buying. Maybe I was trying to impress other people with the things that I bought and the things that I wore. Man, these are difficult questions. And these are questions that we never have to ask ourselves until we follow through with what John said. Was he worried about taking care of the poor? Absolutely. But was he worried about us having to search our hearts for some of these lies that we bought into? Absolutely. We become more prepared to meet God when we do. The last story I'll just touch on briefly in Luke chapter 18, the story of the rich young ruler. Um, Some of you have heard it. Uh, A rich man comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? He says, well, you got to follow all the commandments, honor your father and mother, don't steal. And the guy said, I've done them all. Is there anything I'm missing? And here's Jesus' answer in verse 22. He says this, if you want to follow me, if you want to inherit eternal life, Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I've heard this story taught dozens of times. And every single time, the person telling the story says this, makes this caveat about the story. Now, I know Jesus said, sell your possessions and come follow me. But Jesus didn't really mean sell your possessions and come follow me. Like, he didn't mean what he really said. This is what Jesus meant. 
What Jesus meant was, whatever is keeping you from following him, you need to get rid of it out of your lives. Whatever it is. And everybody in the room breathes a sigh of relief. Thank goodness. Because I did not want to have to get rid of the things that I own. He makes an interesting statement when he says it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. We read this and we say, well, I'm glad I'm not rich. <laughs> I'm glad he's talking about rich people here, not me. But the reality is we're wealthy. Statistics say if you make more than $40,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world. This is a story that is written for us. And the statement goes like this. Jesus has more in mind for us than chasing material wealth and material possessions. And I think the invitation here is not a test of his faith necessarily, but it says this. If you want to follow me, if you want to enjoy all the benefits of what I'm offering, if you want your life to become all that I'm inviting it to be, You'll never get there if you're carrying all this extra weight around. If you're spending all your time and money and energy caring for the things that you own or caring about the next thing that you're going to buy, you're never going to become all that I want you to be. Jesus knew full well that our lives are too valuable to waste chasing possessions. All right, so this whole idea may be new for many of us, the idea of simplicity and actually thinking intentionally with our stuff. We are North Americans. We live in a world that just consumes and consumes. The images, the pictures, the commercials, everything is attempting every day to get us to consume. And yet one of the things that we want to do is we actually want to kind of flip the switch and say we are not just consumers, that we think intentionally about our stuff. And so I know there's lots to take away from there, but we do want to challenge our community over the next little while just to think about decluttering your life. Not because it's popular in culture. I think of Marie Kondo. I think of some of the shows now that talk about what brings us joy and kind of getting into a minimalist life. All that is beautiful. But I want us to think kingdom-wise about how we're led to live our lives. And I do believe... Part of it is living decluttered. And so we want you to intentionally think about things that you need to get rid of in your life, in your home, things that you have to live more simply and intentionally for the kingdom. So here's what we want to do. We really want, my hope is, is that we can take some things away, not just from today, but from all of these teachings and talks around simplicity. You know, if you hit the, the wheel on Instagram, you see the one-minute clips from the preacher people all the time. It just kind of comes up and there's always somebody talking at you. And a lot of times I'll hear these really compelling one-minute messages from teachings about how God wants to use us. I even flipped through this week again and there's a guy talking about how God wants to use us. And I, I, I believe that to be true. But I also believe that that type of talk can be a burden if we're not intentional with steps in how to get there. And this is the thing, we can have like one-off quotes that go on Instagram or social media that sound really good, 
But what we're going for here is change. And change takes time. And it takes intentionality. And it takes more than just wishful thinking that I'm going to change the world or that God is going to use me. I believe all that. But I actually think there's paths and there's ways in which we need to walk intentionally to live this out. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice simplicity for two more months to the end of June. But what we're going to do is we're going to give a couple reminders along the way in how we can continually intentionally do that. We started with taking an audit of our time and really wanted to encourage people to think through their time what they should be doing and not doing. We're gonna remind you at the end of May and end of June to continue these practices. We've encouraged our community with what they do with their money, that there should be a resilient focus with our lives in money and also giving to the poor, the marginalized, um, budgeting, looking at what we do with our stuff and being intentional and, and giving, be, being conduits. And again, uh, at the end of May and at the end of June, we're going to encourage our community through Praxis Weekly and through some intentional practices to continue to do that. But as well, we want to add this third layer to that. Um, over the next couple months, we want to remind us to declutter, to get rid of things, to consume less, to live more freely. Ultimately, we believe God wants to use us, but part of it is practicing, is actually putting these things into practice. And that's the kind of community I want to lead, more than just verbiage about what we should be doing, is an intentional plan. So we're going to think deeply and more intentionally, again, about our time, our money. But as we introduce this now, we want you to think about, and all of us, I want to, I want to think over the next couple of months, what I can be doing with my stuff for the kingdom. That may mean giving away. It may mean blessing others. I don't want to know what it means for you. But what we want to do as we enter into this time of kind of just closing our gathering together is for you to think through that. What we're going to do, brothers and sisters, as we close, is we're going to take communion together. and The team is going to come back. We're going to close with this brilliant, beautiful song. We're just going to respond today uh, just around Jesus' kingship, his lordship. And, you know, one of the things I love about communion and taking communion together, and we'll get you to do it in a second here during this song, is um, no matter what we talk about, whether it's simplicity and money, whether it's power, whether it's, I mean, we just got through a long series on sex, whatever we're talking about, it always pushes us to the reality that Jesus is king. This, how we live, how we steward our stuff is a gospel. It is a gospel issue. That Jesus came in love and laid down his life and gave us this good news of the kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom changes our entire lives. How we spend, how we live, what we put our time into, and what we do with our stuff, what God has given us. And so as we take the bread and cup, may we just be reminded that Jesus is good. His love for us is good. He went to the cross for us and died for us, and that is good. And now he wants us to come and respond again week after week to this work. And ultimately, he wants us to respond with our lives. So today, wherever you're at, why don't you do this? We're going to close our gathering. We're going to sing, and let's take the bread and the cup together. Grace and peace, we love you.